just that feeling of, I guess, yeah, instant reward and knowing that you've just made that person's night. Like, again, like I said, very cliche, but that's, that's why we do it. You know, we want to show people a good time. This is The Crackling. I'm Anthony Huckstep. One of the beautiful elements of the evolution of Australia's culinary landscape is the blurring of the lines between restaurant and bar, and few have managed to nail that balance from a food perspective better than Josh Lundy in the nation's capital, Canberra. Josh, how are you going? Good, thanks, mate. How are you doing? Good. It's good to get you on the show. You guys are doing incredible things there at Bar Rockford in Canberra. How are things? Uh, things are going really good, mate. Obviously, you know, the last few years have been, um, I think, for everyone involved in the hospitality industry, pretty um, testing. But fingers crossed, we've made it out completely on the other side. And things are really good, mate. And I think, um, yeah, I think the food scene's kind of the best it's kind of been in a while, to be honest with you. And, yeah, it's some exciting times ahead. So, yeah, things things are good. You guys have a really fascinating venue. It's um, considered one of the best bars in the country, but it's it's also um, realistically quite an amazing restaurant as well. But I don't think you guys really pitch yourself as either. Tell, tell us about the ethos of Bar Rockford. <laughs> that, that's an excellent question. And the place still baffles everyone that works there because, to be honest with you, I've never really seen a venue quite like it. Like, obviously – we do take the restaurant serious, uh, restaurant service very seriously. And then, you know, come a Friday, Saturday night, the lights go a bit dimmer and a DJ comes in and then it turns into this weird, raucous kind of wine bar slash there are people dancing, but some people trying to finish their dinner. And yeah, it's a very, very bizarre um, place. I guess in short, the ethos though is we just want to create a place that people feel comfortable and have an awesome time, whether you want to have, you know, a glass of wine and a few snacks or you want to sit down for a set menu and have a, you know, a proper dinner. We kind of just want it to be approachable for everyone and every situation, I guess, would be in short what, we, what we're aiming for. You've probably got one of the smallest kitchens that I've ever seen. And so, you know, you, you create some pretty amazing magic out of that tiny space. How, how do you approach the food with a venue like that, that has this huge bar in the middle? And, and as you say, is that sort of bar, but you also can do a set menu as well. What's your approach? Um, look, to be honest, you have to be smart with what works. Um, there are some dishes that just wouldn't work too intense, you know, service wise or something. Um, I guess it just comes down to a lot of menu planning, you know, like looking at what proteins we can cook at a high standard and lots of, but with limited space, stuff like that. So, um, you know, obviously over time we've added modifications to the kitchen and stuff. We got a, you know, a brand new combi oven last year, which was amazing. Um, I don't know how we did what we did before then to be honest with you um but yeah i guess in short um just a lot of menu planning and figuring out what will work and there's a lot of trial and error you know there's been a few dishes i've put on over time where it was like it's on for four services or a week or something and you're like that is just not functional for us um so whether that be like you know dial it back a bit or you know a bit more work into prep time um prep time would be another thing that i would say um, you know, we really have to be smart and get as much done then um, as we can in order for it to be functional in the space we have. So, yeah, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a tricky little space, but um, we make it work, and I do love it. You know, and I'm, being a small kitchen, 
like you really do have to be smart with how you use the space i find um there's no room for clutter or messiness you know like every single square centimeter of that place gets utilized um which i think is a good thing you know so makes you think outside the box a little bit if you will like how we can you know mold into the space and make it work well, it sort of sums up the venue a little bit. You guys are really sort of breaking new ground and sort of helping carve a new path for Australian food and what it means to dine out. Um, but did the pandemic change that a little bit? Like if you think of Bar Rockford before all of this chaos of the last sort of two years, two, three years, um, is, is it a different model and is it a different approach for what you do with your food? Yeah, look, it definitely is, to be honest, Huck. Um it kind of obviously was unintentional, um, but you know, after after the first lockdown in 2020, when we reopened, obviously we were limited to 20 people. I, I think it was or 25, something like that, with our square meterage. And obviously, having less people in means you need a guaranteed way to keep their head spend up. So we started doing set menu only, and then once restrictions eased, we kind of kept that to set menu only for bookings of four and above. And then you know, it just kind of, it actually from a weird way from the kitchen perspective anyway, it actually um you know, helped us become more restauranty, And, you know, that way we were able to put a bit more of a focus on the food and the service and buy a nice combi oven and stuff like that down, like further on down the track. And, you know, so yeah, it definitely shaped us massively, obviously at the time, very stressful, but like I said, on the other side of it, it's now a fully functioning restaurant and we can do, you know, 80, 90 packs on a Friday night for set menu. And then, you know, but it can also be your weird, quirky wine bar. So, yeah, it, 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 def- it, it definitely shaped us, definitely. Well, as, as you know, I've um, helped hold up the bar a few times uh, at Bar Rockford. And one of the things that I really enjoy is, is the dedication to quality produce, but real restraint on the plate as, plate as well, which is a, is a key hallmark of your food. Did, tell us a little bit about sort of what you do with pork on the menu there and some of the um, different sort of things that you do to get it on, on different dishes? Um, so I, for me, pork is one of my favorite ingredients, A, because it's so versatile, you know. So when you say pork, that is a massive umbrella of things, you know. Salami, blado, you know, different kind of sausages, you know. We can make a pork terrine. You could do awesome pork chops, your braised pork pasta. Um, so, like, it's such a big window and there's so many different things to do. So from a wine bar perspective, you know, we've had stuff like one of the first – snacks i put on i think it would have been 2019 just after louis left and i came on board was and it's still one of my favorite snacks we've put on there is just um plum and lardo on toast very very simple one by snack charred bread yummy plum jam using um plums from golian farm here in canberra and then just some lardo over top blowtorched really simple salty sweet a bit of pepperberry on top um, so that lends to the wine bar aspect, but then more recently, you know, turning into a bit more of a restaurant, we've had stuff like, you know, um, yeah, like milk braised pork ragu, pork shoulders, like, you know, braised milk, lots of herbs, lots of veggies, chicken stock, braise it all day, shred it the next day and house rolled papadeli. Um, one of my favorite ones is we have a little, um, hibachi grill. So obviously, you know, most proteins where we can, we like to at least um, see it, spend a bit of time on there and, 
get some lovely pork from the guys at Haverick. Um, they use Byron Bay uh, Berkshire pork. So we get, you know, we were just getting the, the chops, pork chops, bone in, um, brine them, rub them in koji, and then they see the grill. The koji obviously helps, you know, get that umami and that little bit of caramelization. Um, and with, with a protein like that, you know, you don't need much. So we were just serving it with a sweet potato samjung sauce. So, you know, kind of, yeah, sweet potato puree seasoned with Korean samjung. For those who don't know, it's I can't, my like best explanation of it is kind of like miso crossed with barbecue sauce. Um, and then a gochujang, like uh, Korean chili caramel glaze over top. Just like simple, but. Um, well, it seems simple on the plate, but when I describe it like that, there's actually quite a few things going on. But yeah, so we 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 love to use it because of its versatility. Um, yeah. Well, I want to explore um, sort of what you're doing there a little bit further on, but take us back to when you were young. What what sort of role did food play in your family? Um, in my family, to be honest, like we were never a massive foodie family. Mum was a good cook, but she was very busy. She had a few things that she cooked. She cooked. She cooked well, but it was just like rotation of five things. Um, I actually think my first interest came from food at an early age from my older sister Beck. We used to cook quite a bit together. Like I would, you'd go over to her house, we cook curries and stuff. I remember making when I was probably six or seven years old for Father's Day one year, we cooked my dad bread and be- uh, breakfast in bed and filmed the whole thing and we had stupid like Ainsley Harriet, Jamie Oliver voices on and filmed it on a on a crappy old, you know, home camcorder and like <laughs> so I think in hindsight like, you know, I did have a have an interest in food and cooking at an early age. I just didn't really realise it until I started working in kitchens to be honest with you. So, yeah. What ignited that interest to, to work in kitchens? Like where, how did you sort of make that step to decide, okay, I'm going to be a chef? So to be completely honest with you, I fell into cooking. Uh, so I was, what's the age you can work legally, 14 and nine months or 14 and six months, something like that. I um, got to that point and mum was like, you need to get a job, make your own money. So I was applying for places like, you know, clothing stores like Jetty Surf at the mall or something because that was where you got the coolest studded leather belts at the time and weird beanie hats that, thank God, went out of fashion, um, stuff like that. But um, my brother, um, he was mates with a bloke named Andrew Hollins who owned a restaurant here in Canberra called Ella Cure in Bruce. No longer here anymore. But I remember it was um, one night he was at a 21st with – this chef, Andrew Hollins, came home blind drunk and storms into my room and he just like wakes me up. He's like, Lundy, I got your job. You start on Tuesday. And I went, fuck, all right, no worries. Um, and so the next Tuesday I went in and did a trial at Elicure and, yeah, loved it instantly, to be honest with you. So, and that kind of, there was a bit of a snowball effect. So, obviously, Started just washing dishes a couple of days a week after school when I was 14. Luckily, my school was close by. And then that kind of snowballed, you know, year nine, summer holidays. I'd be doing five split shifts a week and helping out in the pizza section. And I can actually, I can actually like feel pretty lucky. I can actually pinpoint the moment that I was like, oh, fuck, I'm going to take this seriously. Like, I really like this. It was like middle of summer, um, very busy lunch function going on at Elicure, 
and I was on the pizza section. I think someone called in sick and just got thrown on the deep end. Um, would have been, yeah, 15 at the time and just busting out heaps of pizzas and helping the chefs and stuff. And the head chef just goes to me and says, hey, mate, you're pretty good at this. You should you should consider you should consider doing this. And I was like, oh, fuck, like, I actually love it. Like, work's awesome. So, yeah, and then from there, I guess, as they say, the rest is history. Just kind of went from there, you know. So, What have been the really important uh, venues that you've worked at and people that you've worked with um, sort of as you built your career? Um, so, obviously, Alicure for that initial <laughs> – I guess, spark, to be honest. Um, that was pretty special. Um, from there, I then went to 86, and I was part of the opening team of 86, which was, um, yeah, that was pretty amazing. I'd probably say that would be the biggest one that um, shaped my career. Like, um, I think 86 was one of, if not the first, you know, modern-style restaurants in the format we see today in Canberra. I think 2013, April, we opened, and it was just crazy. It was absolutely nuts and, you know, big open kitchen, loud music, you know, waiters with attitude, whether people like that or hate that, and I understand <laughs> understand why they, why they wouldn't at the time. It was pretty full-on, but um, it was just so different, and it was just like – you know, but like it was absolutely crazy. I remember people lining up at the door, people eating black chickens out on the like on the um, garden lawn out in front of eighty six because we didn't have enough tables, but we still wanted to get covers in. Like it was just yeah, it was mental. It was a very special special time. It was tiring, and <laughs> there were nights where you know you just have to stay back and prep till three a.m. kind of thing. But it was um, yeah, it was pretty awesome being a part of that. So finished my apprenticeship there and then I uh, moved up to Sydney, spent a year in Sydney and I was lucky enough to score a job at Sepia, which is no longer there, um, which was also very, you know, that's a career-defining place. Um, um, it was amazing. I, I loved working at Sepia. The people were awesome. The food was obviously amazing and learned a lot. I didn't love living in Sydney, hence hence the move back to Canberra. Um, but I, to be honest, I I like. I think a lot of people growing up in Canberra, you kind of have this resentment for the place, that big country town feel, and so you grow up going, "Fuck Canberra, shit, so boring." And then I moved away and actually got a bit of perspective, and you know, seeing cool restaurants like that, eighty six and o- opening up and stuff, and then you know, your Akibas and all that kind of stuff opening up, and you know, you're like, like when I was away in Sydney, I realised, "Fuck Canberra is actually." pretty cool it's starting to get pretty awesome so made the move back home and yeah so before we explore that move back home let's just go back to sepia for a little while it had such a huge influence on australia's culinary history um do you have any stories of what it was like working with um with martin ben um off the top of my head no no exact stories come to mind to be honest it was um it was a, a, a big blur, to be honest, the year that I spent there. Um, it was very intense, but it was, yeah, just the level of food um, just that we were producing, it was just crazy and just like the the beautiful produce that would come in. It was absolutely nuts. Let's talk about Canberra. It's um, been evolving incredibly over the last sort of decade and you've been a big part of that. Um what what do you think about Canberra at the moment and where it's at? I think the food scene here is the best it's ever been and it's only getting better, um, to be honest with you. 
yeah, it's a pretty special place in the sense that I like it's just such a good sense of community. Everyone that I like, you know, owns and operates and works in the, in all the like nice restaurants around town. Everyone just gets around each other, and that's something that I find so special. You know what I mean? Like, you know, some of my best mates, uh, Dash, Ross, and Mal, who you know, pilot and such and such, and. Like, you know, I go to the gym with Ross every morning when he comes, that is. Um, <laughs> um, I hope he hears that. Um, but, yeah, it's just it's just pretty special to be a part of, to be honest, and seeing it from that growth from the early seedling stages from 86 to where it's at now, it's just come leaps and bounds, you know. You've got your Rebel Rebel, the XO guys love what they do, Miss Vans, there's so many cool venues, just to name a few, Louis at ZM, like it's just – and. Everyone just knows each other and gets along with each other and really supports each other. It's yeah, it's pretty special to be honest. I don't think many other other cities have that sense of community that we have here. To be honest, it, it's it's fascinating to watch as uh, from the outside that sort of connection that the industry seems to have in Canberra. Why do you think that is? Why why do you think that everyone sort of seems to all be on the same sort of train moving forward? Um, I think it comes from it still like feeling like a big country town even though you know our population doesn't really reflect reflect that anymore i think that like that's where it comes from to be honest with you it's that big country town mentality and everyone kind of you know you see something open and even if you don't know the people who are behind it you go in you're like oh that's awesome i'm gonna get to know that person you want to have a beer sometime mate like yeah, it just it's just happened very organically and it's yeah, pretty pretty special, mate. Tell us about that time coming back to Canberra. What what was that like and um and what did you do? Um so I went back to 86. Um I think because it was what I knew and I was um you know, in a, a same thing as before. Um bit of um, retrospect I was actually like this place is awesome this is doing really cool things not only for Canberra but for the nation you know I remember our caramel popcorn Sunday at 86 was on the cover of gourmet traveler and everyone was like what the fuck did we just do what <laughs> like that was crazy like a restaurant from Canberra being on the cover of gourmet traveler no way um so yeah perspective had a bit of perspective I was like this is a very cool restaurant went back there um spent a bit of time there um, made my way up to Sous Chef and then from there went to Gus, the owner of 86, um, bought Pulp Kitchen in Ainsley of uh, Nathan and Dan and so we did a bit of a did a bit of a um, refurb and refit out and put a new kitchen in and whatnot and so and then went over across to there. That was my first head chef role. So that was yeah, pretty exciting. Tell us about that. What, was it difficult or what were the challenges and um, of moving into your first head chef role? Um, look, like just I guess the extra level of responsibility. Luckily, um, being coming from sous chef to head chef, it wasn't a crazy big jump and we knew that this was going to happen for a little while. So, you know, I was, you know, he- like really trying to make be actively heavily involved in the ordering and rostering and all that kind of stuff at 86. So it kind of primed me um, ready for that aspect of it. But I guess the biggest challenge is just like <laughs> at the end of the day is like first head chef role. Fuck, will people actually like the food? <laughs> you, you know, like that's the biggest thing. Like, you've, you know, you spent so long, you know, 
costing menus, testing dishes, rostering, all that kind of stuff, like, you know, figuring out the best way to go about things. But the biggest, most daunting thing for me was, you know, um, opening night and you're like, okay, I know from my end everything's okay, but what the fuck are people actually going to think of the food? You know, that it, that in itself is is pretty daunting to be honest with you. So yeah, that was, that was my biggest challenge, <laughs> I reckon. And yeah. How did the gig with Bar Rockford come about? Um, so Nick and I had known each other for quite some time. Um, Nick's partner, Lucy, we actually used to work front of house at 86 with us. And I remember meeting Nick, I think it was back in 2015. I always love telling this story. Um, I think it was after a Christine Manfield pop-up event at 86. Um, and we all went out after service. Lucy, Nick's partner, was there and a bunch of us from 86. Dash was there as well. We all went out, had an awesome night in the town. Bar closed. We... Um, decided we want to have a few more drinks and Lucy's like oh let's go back to my apartment in Braddon so I think there's like seven or eight of us you know spent all night out like pretty blind get back to the house and probably about four or five a.m in the morning at this point created a rabble and Nick we woke Nick up <laughs> we woke Nick up and instead of telling us to bugger off we just this dude just starts throwing down some vinyl records in his house in his pajamas and DJing for kick-ons and I was like fuck this who is this man that's pretty that's pretty special um so that's my, my first interaction with Nick and then I guess we just had a really good relationship then that comes from what I was saying earlier about the community um in Canberra you know, like everyone was talking about Bar Rockford opening up and, you know, went to the soft up, soft launch and stuff like that and got there as much as I could. Um, and then flash forward a few years, um, just finished up after Pulp, after Gus sold Pulp, went back to 86 for a little bit, finished up there. And then I was working casually. Um, I was working actually on the floor at Morks, spending a bit of time in front of house and Working, working in the kitchen at Teddy Pickers in Campbell just after, you know, working quite intensely full-time for a little while, just worked, step back and work casually for a little bit. And Nick approached me to do a pop-up initially. Um, I think it was Frederick Stevenson, winemaker from the Barossa, to do a pop-up. He was coming down doing a wine dinner and asked if I wanted to cook for it. Um, and, of course, I said yes. I always wanted to do stuff at Bar Rockford. And as I said, Nick and I had a great relationship and then, that just kind of snowboarded organically. Um, I think after our first meeting about the pop-up, he called me two weeks later. He's like, can we have another chat? And he said that Louis was going to move on. He'd done his time there and asked if I'd be interested in potentially taking on the role. And, of course, my initial answer was straight away, yes. Like, like you're such a you're such a cool dude. Love the venue and I've always wanted to work there. So, yeah, I mean, the rest is history. Well, there was, for a couple of years, you're a co-head chef with Belinda Florence. What was that like? Oh, look, mate, it was awesome, to be honest with you. It was – I think we're both quite different style-wise and I guess – and, like, we were able to play off each other a little bit. Um, oh, not a little bit, sorry, quite a lot. You know, Belle comes from a lot more technique-driven, fine dining kind of background and, you know, I'm very used to – cooking like you know the share food kind of stuff i get not home style but you know like just a bit more um classic or rustic i guess if you will and but with modern touches and i guess yeah we just worked really well together off that man um 
yeah, it was it was it was really really cool. You know, we'd sit there and brainstorm different ideas, and both had such a different way of going about it, but it worked. So, yeah, it was it was it was really nice. Someone to share the load with. Let's talk about your food and your approach. You just sort of touched on it a little bit then, but how, how do you sort of create dishes and how would you describe your food? Is, is, is there maybe one or two dishes maybe with pork in it that you can talk about that sort of exemplifies your cooking? Um, yeah, well, I guess first and foremost, mate, like the key is to let the produce speak for itself. Um, that's kind of what we aim to do day in day out at rockford um yeah so going back on the dish i said earlier the one of my favorite pork dishes we've done is the berkshire pork chop um brine it two hours two to three hours depending on the thickness wash it off pat it dry rub it in koji so like a fermented um japanese rice um paste um and that just helps break it down a little bit tenderize it season it and then also you just get this awesome umami flavor coming off it on the grill um and then yeah gochujang caramel sweet potato samjang very very simple um as well i've, I've found coming from eliq eliq was kind of like a modern australian slash italian i've always had this affinity to go back to pasta um which obviously, you know, from a pork perspective, again, the possibilities are endless. You know, you've got carbonaras with guanciale. You've got, you know, awesome braised red sauces with lots of chorizo through it, stuff like that. Or, you know, as as mentioned earlier, milk braised pork ragu with pappardelle. So that's, that's also played. And I didn't realize it until a few years ago that I was like, why? And even on my days off, pasta. That's what I want to cook is pasta. And I was like, why is that? And then that was the first place I worked, you know, pizzas and pastas and yummy share food like that. And I've just always find myself going back to that as the stuff I want to cook. Is, is there any sort of um, particular cuts of, of the pig that you prefer to work with? And do you have a secret tip on the best way to cook it? Um, if you have access to sous vide, um, pork neck or butt, I find is really, really awesome. Um, obviously, you don't have to sous vide. You could braise it, but we found over time that that's the most consistent way to cook it. Again, brine it. All, 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 all the larger cuts that we serve of pork, we, we tend to brine it, and I just find brining, A, adds flavor, also tenderizes it, and you get a better cook. Um, but then, yeah, if you ha yeah, have access to a sous vide, I would recommend pork neck, brining, sous vide it for about 12 hours at 60 degrees chill it down and then you could do so much with it you know you could slice it thin serve it on a sandwich if you wanted to you could have it as steaks you could shred it if you wanted to like quite quite a versatile cut obviously uh being the crackling we'd love to get sort of tips on the best way to produce the best crackling do you have a go-to technique that you use that you could share yeah so um I remember back at 86, we used to do these, it was like a do-it-yourself psalm kind of situation. And again, at the time, we were like, fuck, no one does this. This is so cool. This is so different. Um, I think we got a lot of inspiration from people like Dan Hong and Mama Fuku and stuff like that. But I remember the pork, so the pork belly we used to do there, um, score your skin. Um, and then we used to fill a, a, a gastro pan put it on the stove top, 
get the water boiling and just dip the skin in there once or twice and then let it sit overnight in the cool room, get it completely dry. Um, next day, go to cook it, lots of salt, lots of veg oil, nice neutral oil so it doesn't burn, hot oven till it starts to crackle and then lower the temp, finish it, braise it off. Bar Rockford, you know, considered one of the best bars in the country and certainly one of the leaders of the new wave in, in Canberra. What, what can we expect in the next sort of year from you guys? Um, that's a great question, mate. Uh, I think this year we want to focus on, I don't know, getting back to normal. We really want to do some different events with different cool places around the country that we really like to do. Um, fingers crossed we do we could do something out in Braidwood at some point soon in the, ne- in the next couple of months. Um, Tristan, the head chef of Mona, I worked with him in Sydney at Sepia and he's a, he's a friend and Nick, one of the other owners, actually yeah, lives out at Braywood now, so it kind of makes sense to do something there. But that's that's our big goal for the year is just to try and do different cool events, get cool winemakers in or cool chefs um, and, yeah, just really get back to pre-COVID times because, you know, even last year we had a few events planned for early in the year but then there was – another wave of COVID and so we just want to get back to normal and just you know throw weird raucous wine wine parties that we love and that the place has been come to known for. Well well, great food and great uh, drinks aside which is what you guys deliver you guys are just really nail fun and a fun night out and um, have made a huge impact on on Canberra What, what do you love about what you do? Um, it's, it's, it's quite cliche, but to be honest, um, I find it just so instantly rewarding and there's nothing quite like the feeling like you're having a shit day at work and you know, you're, you're in the weeds for prep or whatnot. And then you get to service and you cook a plate of food and someone you've never seen before in your life comes up and said, mate, I just want to say thank you for the food. That's awesome. Like, yeah, for me, that's like the pinnacle of it i guess is just i don't know that's something that's always appeared uh, appealed to me about hospitality is like the not control but the way you can dictate the person sitting there's time that they spend in that place it's it's just a a special thing and there's no other feeling quite like it it's hard to explain um especially people that don't work in hospitality but just that feeling of I guess yeah instant reward and knowing that you've just made that person's night like again like I said very cliche but that's that's why we do it you know we want to show people a good time well you're very good at it Josh and it's you're very good at it and it's an honor to have you on the crackling today to hear just a bit of your story look forward to hearing what you do this year especially the big event out at Braidwood that'll be amazing um please keep in touch and we'll catch up again soon Awesome, mate. Thank you so much for having me. It's been an honour. This is The Crackling, a Deep in the Weeds production in partnership with Porkstar. I'm Anthony Huckstep. Stay tuned as we catch up with some of Australia's best chefs and pork producers to discover what makes Australian pork so special.